And welcome back to the Why Hockey Periodical Podcast, where we are very happy to talk about a sports team called the Panthers on this show. Thankfully, they're not the football team named the Panthers. I am with today one of our favorite guests, maybe the guest who has been on Why Hockey most, other than Panthers beat writers, Corey Snyder, who is a fan of the football team named the Panthers. How happy are you that they cleaned house? I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm like, I wouldn't say I'm like an active fan at the moment for obvious reasons, but uh, I don't know. I feel like that franchise is just going to be garbage for uh, however long Tepper is there. This is a probably a good guess. I'm bringing it up because one of my good friends from college, John, who just got married a couple months ago. Congratulations to Tim and Sarah. Wonderful people. Uh, he is a very diehard Panthers fan. He was at the uh, rain game uh, against the Falcons because you know sports fandom is crazy isn't it and i've been thinking of him the last couple of days because they cleaned house like uh well one organization that i like should do that it's great i don't have to talk about football on this show because the teams we like are bad i will say i i am glad they won that game because if you're a fan you're gonna go out to see that team in that weather like i don't know you deserve to feel happy kind of at the end of the day I texted him during that game and he was very happy that they won because it was the Falcons, but also he went to that game and he might've been, you know, one of maybe 5,000 people in the stadium. Yeah. It looked, it looked empty. I can't say I blame them. I can't blame him for not going either, but he went and the passion of that man, I respected immensely. And when I went to Charlotte for his wedding, I didn't realize where the stadium was in relation to the actual like downtown core of Charlotte. It's like right there. So uh, a slight detour talking about the football Panthers who remind me of the hockey Panthers about a decade ago. But before we get to the hockey Panthers and everything else, Corey, of course, has just had a child. How's dad life going? Uh, it's uh, not really day to day. It's more like hour by hour how it goes. You kind well, of. Uh... I have to say the the uh, the pictures you're posting on uh, on Twitter and Blue Sky are wonderful. Yeah, that's like uh, I try. I post the happy moments. I don't really share any of the any of the not so great moments where you're you're sleep deprived, you're tired, <clears throat> you don't know what to do because you're in a completely new situation where you're not entirely sure like how to handle things because you're a first time parent. But for, for the most, but for the most part, it's good. I have to say, two pictures I loved. Uh, the first one was uh, Allison with all of the little plushy mascots. That was pretty cool. And the second one, I think my favorite, was uh, when you took her to a game. I think it was uh, it was Kraken Blackhawks, and she was with Allison Lucan. Now that was my personal favorite. Yeah, we wanted to we wanted to go to that game specifically so our Allison can meet can meet uh, Allison L. Just because, mm, like, superstar, I would have yeah. to say, superstar, wonderful person. She's been on the show before. I mean, back in her Blue Jackets days, we were talking about Sergey Bobrovsky, but I can't think of many people. Who are our bigger superstars than Allison Luca? And that picture was was awesome. Yeah, and, uh, she's been a real, she's been a great friend to both my wife Sarah and I, and just an awesome person in general to like have have around. Awesome, awesome person to cover hockey, and yeah. I mean, we could spend time talking about how great so many women are in hockey media. But you know, as much as I would like to do that and talk about the PWHL, which I want to do at some point because I'm really happy the league has started. I haven't got a chance to watch the games yet, but I do. Um, we have you here because you are one of the best when it comes to tracking and data. And it's the perfect time in the season to kind of catch up on where things are. The old data has kind of flushed out. And hopefully you forgot what happened the last time I had you on this show. 
I'm crossing my fingers that you did because I, well, I'm glad you came back. No, I don't really hold any hard feelings to fans over over that kind of stuff. Well, it was funny because everything we predicted on that show kind of didn't happen because the first game went to 70 overtimes yep. and then every other game was just weird after that. Yeah, that was a truly bizarre series that ended up in a sweep. Probably one of the closest sweeps I've ever seen. Well, I feel like there's been a lot of those the last couple of playoffs because like uh, when Colorado swept Edmonton, I felt like, oh, that's a pretty, that was a pretty close series. A couple of games could have gone either way, but Edmonton got sent packing in four games. That that's might have been the Carolina. closest sweep I've ever seen in hockey. I don't know if I would say every that game went to baseball, well, but it felt like the closest sweep I've ever seen in hockey. Yeah, not every game went to overtime, but game four might as well have been overtime. because I mean, every game was decided like... by a goal. Two went to overtime. One basically did. You know, yeah. I, 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 when Rod Brindamore said it, like part of me was thinking it was sour grapes, but I was also fully understanding of the fact that, you know, that series was bizarre and was, you know, the weirdest sweep I've ever seen. He sounded like he's ready for game five of a series that he's already been eliminated from. That's Which I have never heard a coach sound like, because usually if you get swept, you know, you got swept and you're like, you've accepted it. But, and sometimes when you have those sweeps that are pretty close in the first three games and the team that's down, doesn't win game three, then game four kind of feels, you know, like a fait accompli. Like, I guess the Panthers getting swept by the Lightning was also kind of close, but even though the scores were close, the games never felt close, unlike yeah. this series, which the games felt pretty close. But yeah, like, and like, yeah, game four was the one where they actually came back to and they got the late goal, which was like evading them the first few games, or at least in game, or at least in game three. Because, like, game four, yeah. they actually scored three and they scored that. Yeah, it was about five minutes to go in the third. And I'm like, okay, this is going to overtime and Caroline is probably going to win. And it's going to be annoying that they left the door open, but whatever. And then Kachuk scores and you're just like, all right. <laughs> that was the moment where I felt most like they're actually going to win the Stanley Cup because no team gets this lucky with seven overtime wins in one postseason and then Vegas happened, but whatever. No. Let's talk about the current version of the team because there's actually, I think, a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. And the first one is, is somebody who we talked to you about quite a bit when they hired Paul Maurice as someone with experience uh, watching a Paul Maurice coach team. I don't think I ever expected it to look quite like this because two years ago, this team, as you've talked about on this show and other places with your data was the zone entry monsters one of the craziest teams in those metrics. And now this year they've almost completely transformed into a legitimately elite defensive team. Did you ever think that that was a possibility? Uh, with the group of defensemen that they had? No, definitely not. Cause they, I mean, what they did, they kind of reshaped their defensive core in the off season, but it was still kind of like a lot of guys on one, two year deals, like, OEL, see if he's not washed. Montour, Ekblad out for a foreseeable amount of time. They're going to have Gustav Forsling kind of be their guy. And I was like, they're going to have to weather a storm in the first couple of months of the season until everybody's healthy. But uh, I don't know if I don't know if that's what they did exactly. Like they weren't like they weren't great, but they were still pretty good through like Thanksgiving or so. But like in the past two weeks, they've really just taken off. They're on this hot streak right now. But I wasn't expecting like these kind of defensive results. But I, when I think about it, it sort of makes sense. I mean, you have Barkoff there to kind of insulate a lot of things. He plays a ton of minutes this year too, and 
I don't know, their bottom six, it's all pretty, like, I, there's not a lot of drags in their forward core, like, just when I watch them. Like, every line's out there, I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, these guys can keep up. I don't know if they're going to score a lot of goals, but they can all, like, keep up, like, with their matchups reasonably well and not get killed out there. So, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense, like, when you think about it and you, like, kind of watch their games. When you, when you look at the roster, when I look at the roster, sometimes I'm like, huh, like, is this really going to... Like, is this really going to be a top team? But they're getting it done right now. I think part of my initial analysis of this season was, okay, they don't have Ekblad and Montour, Bennett's hurt. They're playing a more deliberately defensive style because they have to. They don't have the bodies. And their defensive results were actually pretty good early in the season. And I'm like, okay, this is probably not going to keep up because they're going to open it up a little bit more when everybody gets back and everybody gets firing. And they're going to not be terrible defensively but they're gonna look more like they looked last year which was kind of this at time weird hybrid of the rush team and paul maurice's team and no they have not looked like that they've just become a team that has decided after two years ago being able to name their score if they wanted to score nine they would now they're basically like well you might get one goal but we're not giving you more than that and they're not giving up more than that and i think for me it's different than what you see another elite teams defensively look like because their system. And we've talked about this on the show a bunch is very predicated on the centers doing a lot of work defensively to help the defensemen. And it's all built around the fact that their centers are willing to do that. Of course, if you build a system around, you know, the best two way center in the league, you're going to get results like this, but all the other centers follow in kind and that's the the beat that everybody else follows. And it's why I don't think anybody else could kind of play this system, but it's working. And it's not just because Barkov's been obviously maybe the best defensive season he's ever had, but also because everybody else buys in and the defense core might not have elite guys in there, but they were all upgrades from a year ago. I mean, they went to the Stanley cup final with Mark Stahl in the second pair and whatever you think of the guys they've added, they are upgrades on what they had down there before. And that's, what's notable to me and why I didn't think this team was in any real danger of making the playoffs because while you might not have loved their defensive upgrades or the players that they added in, they're better than what they had. And that was the big difference. Yeah. When I look at that defense, I'm like, it's not a lot of guys I expect to really take over a game, but it's a lot of guys who can kind of make those simple five foot passes to help you get out of the zone. And like with the uh, stats that I track, like a, a new wrinkle that I added this year is looking at context behind rush offense, basically looking at what types of situ basically like looking at the situations that where rush offense is created, whether it comes off of a controlled breakout, a zone exit against a four check or a counter. So like you have, basically you have like an exit, you, you have like situations where you can create entries or rush offense through slow developing type of plays or against the run of play type of plays or against plays where you like you basically survive a turnover or something like that. Like you have to survive a chance and create a turnover in the offensive zone to create that. And with Florida, what they're good at is creating against four checks. So they're like, their defense is good at making short passes to kind of create rush offense that way when they need to not, or not even rush offense. They kind of just get out of the zone, get the puck deep and flip possession that way. And, uh, and like with Florida, their rush offense went totally down, but they're good at picking their spots at knowing when to create it. Now is kind of what I'm noticing. 
like they're not going to go up and down back and forth the entire game but like if an opportunity is open they're very good at like exploiting teams like uh i was watching the blues game the other night and uh the kachuk goal is a really good example of that the i think it was the first one it was the one for where for Hagee, like picked yeah, that's off the a first pass. one the one where he picked off a pass up high and kind of caught up he fed kachuk on a stretch pass got back up and made like a little give and go with him like that's like the type of plays they've been really good at this year because that was off of a because that wasn't off a counterattack. that was more of off like a play where they cleared the zone they kind of reset and then exited that way and florida that's like one area they've been very good at this year and like the biggest thing is with them in my stats they're basically a plus in every defensive category as far as limiting shots goes like as far as like the defensive zone play goes like in exits sometimes they're a little sloppy they're not that fast behind there so they do get beat to a lot of pucks but they're good at like protecting the house and kind of mitigating the damage from there and when that's good enough when like you have the uh when you have the forwards that they do right now and like the rates some of those their top guys are scoring at it's interesting to me because you wouldn't expect i mean obviously with the centers you kind of do but you wouldn't expect with the defensemen that they're just really good at collapsing in and giving you very little and part of it is i was listening to merrick versus washinsky yesterday and they were asking well how did they get this good defensively and it's a combination of things and they've all bought in, you know, like when you're going from the rush team, that's the most fun team you've ever played on to having to do a lot of defensive donkey work to use a soccer term like that might not be a ton of fun, but they still keep it pretty fun in a way that you wouldn't expect a team that's kind of defensively like that and a more defensive minded team as every player will tell you now they find a way to keep it somewhat fun and it, especially for the defensemen, they're still allowed to go, you know, activate up the wall and fly in you know Mikkel is able to do that Montour is able to do that so it's really interesting how they've struck that balance and keeping a system like this which is a lot of hard work still pretty fun for a lot of players who got used to you know playing in many cases on the one of the best rush teams we've ever seen yeah like in a way it kind of reminds me of the Jets team that Maurice had when they went to the conference final because uh like that team had that team scored a lot of goals, but they're also one of the better defensive teams in the league that year. They also had, and that was when they had Connor Hellebuck too. Like, and Hellebuck's like obviously leagues is like leagues ahead of like Florida's goalies, but still they play almost they play almost the same way. They kind of get the same ish results because you have like you have a elite offense that can kind of pick its spots and be lethal off the rush when they need to, but they're not doing it all the time. And defensively, they don't give you much of anything. And their defense is kind of, I don't remember, like, well, that defense in Winnipeg was a lot, was definitely a lot more talented. They, they, was definitely a lot more talented because they still had Buffalo and they still had Toby Enstrom that year. I think Josh Morrissey was a rookie that year, too. So they still had a, Winnipeg had a lot more guys on defense than Florida's kind of just doing it with, uh, Florida Florida's been doing it with a lot of guys they've signed for like kind of prove it deals until Ekblad and Montour came back at least but yeah like I kind of see similarities in those two teams just with the results they're getting that team had that team funny enough had Kulikov on it it had Toby Enstrom it had Sherratt it had 
Bufflin, Morrissey played 81 and had true, but like it, it makes sense. And the problem with the jets afterwards is that the blue line just withered away. Yeah. They and, lost a lot of guys. And that doesn't seem like it's going to be the case with the Panthers. I mean, the Montour Forsling stuff is, is a discussion for another day, but as you said, they, they just find if you're a defenseman and you're looking to revive your career, you might as well go to Florida because they're going to do it. Oliver Ekman Larson's getting a two to three year contract worth like four or five million dollars from somebody in the offseason because yeah, his fi- career has been entirely revived by playing in Florida. And they're just finding got like Mahura is a guy who last year played every game and this year he's been healthy scratched a bunch because they're simply deeper. I've asked you this before and I'll ask it again because I'm still trying to find the answer to it. Like, what is it about the way Florida plays that started when Zito came in and has survived this change in style to where defensemen can come in and be the best versions of themselves? Because, like, Nico Mikkel has had a really good season, too. He's been very consistent defensively. And there were Panthers fans out there that weren't the happiest with that signing, but I don't think any of us, even me, who I like that signing, I didn't think it was going to look like this necessarily. Yeah, just going from what I see... Um, well, they kind of make the job, they make defenseman's job a little easier just from how they're exiting the zone. Cause from, they like, they really like flipping the puck out of the zone a lot to kind of just relieve pressure. And rather than making like the complicated exit plays or complicated breakouts or anything like that, especially since they lost Mackenzie Weger, cause like Weger was the workhorse back there to kind of start a lot of their breakouts. And the last two years, really since uh, like late last year, they've been doing a lot of flipping the puck out of the zone to just relieve pressure and kind of fight for another day. It's not really like the best way to play, but like sometimes that's like what you got to do when it's what you got to do, especially if like you're defending a lead or you're playing against a team that likes to kind of that likes to kind of uh, be very slow and meticulous with their offense, kind of like Toronto did in the playoffs last year. And I think that makes it kind of easy for your defensemen because if they don't get the puck out, they just go collapse to the front of the nets and just mitigate the damage that way. Like, and from the games I've watched this year, they've been very good at blocking shots too, getting in lanes without kind of making it without, I don't know, they block shots without making it seem like they're blocking a ton of shots, if you know what I mean. Cause like there's some teams that just like, they don't look like a Tortorella team, basically. Yeah. Like they, they're good at make at getting the puck out after they block a shot or kind of just killing the play there rather than having to continue on and on. Like they're killing the five on five penalty, but like without, with Ekman Larson's a good one in particular, like just from how they've kind of mag they've, uh, they've kind of like mitigated or hid some of his flaws. Cause like in Vancouver, he looked done. He looked injured. Like his shoulder looked absolutely busted. He couldn't retrieve any pucks. He couldn't get to any pucks. And in Florida, he doesn't really have to. Like, he he kind of just goes to the front of the net if, a, if the puck is dumped in, and he plays really high in the zone defending entries. He's good at shouldering guys off. He's very good at kind of engaging with – he's good at, like, engaging with forwards to kind of separate them from the puck and then kind of letting somebody else pick it up and and carry it out of the zone. Whereas, like, he doesn't have to do everything now. He doesn't have to do everything like he did, like, when people thought he was a top defenseman. Well, even when he was playing top minutes with Forsling, he didn't have to do that because right, because Forsling's, Forsling's on the guy. Pair. Well, like yeah, because Florida has a guy or two that can always do that. Like right now, it's Forsling. It was Uyghur years in years past, but Forsling's kind of assumed that role, and Forsling seems to kind of like absorb a lot of the damage 
statistically at least because he creates like every single stat you look at he creates a lot but he gives up a lot but he's also asked to do like almost everything on the de- on defense well it's also because he he plays the style where you know if he misses that little poke check in the neutral zone it's in behind you but more often than not when he makes that play he gets it right so yeah i think the other thing about the panthers and playing this kind of simple style is when you play on the four check the way they do if you flip it out and into the neutral zone you're confident the way the forwards are playing that they're going to win it back yeah that's that's probably where they've been the most dangerous like the uh the reload or regrouping type of entry plays and they they get everybody to just do that and again even even the guys you wouldn't expect to be elite four check players are now kind of elite four check players it's kind of crazy yeah and like one of their one of their strengths is like with the rush offense, like an easy way to get rush offense or offense off controlled entries is like through the reloads forcing like they're not necessarily failed exits because they get over the blue line. But if you catch it in the neutral zone, re-enter, like that's where a lot of dangerous offense happens. They they found a way to again, and I give credit to Paul Maurice for finding a way to balance, you know, what they are at their core or what they were with what this is and we know that the rush world it's not the greatest playoff arbiter of success but this style is and i want to talk about a couple of other things before we we move on to other teams the number one thing that people are starting to recognize is that sergey bobrovsky is having a pretty good season he's not been amazing but it didn't occur to me until i started thinking about it which was when bobrovsky had his best success in the league it was playing behind the torch system in Columbus, which asked you to do all the shot blocking and the defensive work. And this is not the same system. It's a better one. But he never had the chance to be the great goalie when the Panthers were the rush team, which under Quenville and Brunette they were. And now he's playing behind a team that's way more defensively solid. He sees a, just a bunch of easier shots and he doesn't have to do the crazy saves, which he's really good at. But then he'll let in the one you're like, why did you let that one in? How did that go in? He's not letting those in anymore because I don't think he's being taxed in the same way. You know what I mean? Uh, except for that one in Vancouver. But yes, that, except that for that one. Up. But that, that doesn't happen very often now. Like yeah. last year, it happened a lot. And this year, it's happening a lot less. And I, I get the contention, like why he would be, you know, up there for possibly the Vesna. I don't think it he'd ever be in that because cons- he's not having elite results behind an elite defensive team like Hellebuck. He's having pretty good results behind an elite defensive team, but that's just made this team better because now you're not asking Bobrovsky to do the crazy stuff. Cause last year's team defensively was not particularly good. And this year's defense, like the leap they've made is what's really been notable to me. And it's helped Bobrovsky too. Yeah. Last year, I felt like they were trying to be a better defensive team and we're just bad at it this year. They're, this year, they've kind of mastered it, and whether that's the change in personnel or just guys get the holdovers getting used to, like, Maurice's system, either way, like, they've figured it out, and it's not coming at the expense of their offense either. So that's Even, kind of, even that's for a team that thing. is still a net negative finishing team and one of the worst finishing teams in the league, which I think comes at, you know, because they play defensively the way they do and they have to work a little harder for their chances – Last year, it was really notable how badly they were finishing under expected. This year, they still are like 30th, according to Jack Fraser's numbers. But now pucks are starting to go in. And I also kind of chalk that up to some of the guys they have, like playing lower in the lineup, too. Just like 
the Ryan Lombergs, the well, Leicester, I here's another question for you. I think we've mentioned this before. Like, who is the best finisher on the team? Like right I mean, now, it's Sam Reinhardt, but he's not going to shoot twenty five percent ever again. I mean, it's for Hagee, right? Yeah, that's who I would think it is. And but he's also a volume guy. Like he gets a lot of shots. He gets a lot of chances. And Barkov is a more of a facilitator, but he's also an elite finisher when he wants to be. But that's not his primary goal. And there are other, Kachuk, you know, Matthew yeah. Kachuk, but he is a volume guy. Like most of the guys they have on their team are not elite finishers because they haven't looked for elite finishers. Most of their guys are volume, you know? And I think that's also part of their their chance creation story. Like they develop a lot, but that's because the guys they have are, you know, volume guys. And it's kind of been my point about they need a guy who's just out there. He might get three shots a game, but one of them is going to be a great chance. And that's the one thing it feels like they're missing right so now. So like a Tarasenko, basically. The the one that Tommy uses all the time is Frank Petrano, who they traded away and would I think some Panthers fans would like to have him back. And he's on a obviously a hot streak right now. But Tarasenko was a name I was thinking of. Like that would make sense. Somebody who can play up in the lineup, but is probably going to be on the third line and doesn't need a volume of chances to have one go in. And with the way they play defense, they will only need one to go in, I think, in the postseason, you know. And so, yeah, Tarasenko is a name I, we're going to probably talk about a lot more as we get to the trade deadline, because that's a name that would make sense. Um, I want to ask a Barkov question here. It probably will lead to multiple Barkov questions, but you've done the tracking for long enough to know. Uh, he's always been elite at this stuff. It feels like this is his best season at it. Is it his best season at some of the stuff that there is nobody in the world better at than he is? It's... I feel like two years ago might have been his be- might have been his best season, like the year everybody was come campaigning for Huberdo to win the the uh, Hart Trophy. Like I thought, Barkoff was like bar none the best player on the team that year and a top five player in the league. But I, I don't know; it's kind of hard to say because, like, just because, like, with the stats I track, just because somebody does it like the most doesn't necessarily mean like they're the best player in the league. Because you know, sometimes it's all about it's more about efficiency than volume. But with uh, Barkov, he's pretty much been he's as good as he's always been in a lot of effort and a lot of the stats I track. But one of the areas where he's been probably the best stats is cycle offense and create getting shots off high danger passes. So kind of getting to the open spots and taking advantage of passes from his line mates. And like that's that's a new wrinkle for him this year. He's more of like the distributor more than the shooter. And he's having like a kind of downish shooting season, oddly enough. But I think if this is any indication, it's going to pick up. And it would not surprise me if he has like close to 30 goals at the end of the year. It wouldn't surprise me at all because, you know, as you say, this was always there. Like if you remember watching the the Barkov Huberto Yager line all those years ago, like you saw the potential for him to be like that. And then the team kind of moved away from that cycle offense. To more of the rush team but now they're they're better on the cycle than they used to be but there are times when they have the puck and they just don't give it up is that a you know sam reinhardt fully understands what playing with barkoff is like now because now they get it is it an evan rodriguez thing i've always thought for evan rodriguez is his whole stick is playing with elite players and not looking out of place on those lines yeah you know like that's his role and he's fitting it very well even though there are times when i have not wanted him on that line this year um it just feels like defensively he's been even better 
than he's been in years past. And maybe that's because the team as a whole is defensively better. So it's perception, but yeah, there's like different ways to look at defense too, through like the micro stat lens. Cause one of them is looking at kind of defensive retrievals and exits. And by that, he doesn't by like those metrics. It's one of his lower years, which is kind of odd. Like he's still very good at getting the puck out of the zone. He's just not doing it as much, which could be just the team, the defenseman kind of flipping the puck out a lot more now, but Another thing to look at is forechecking, and he's one of the top players in the league in forechecking, like recovering dump-ins, pressuring, forcing bad exits. Like, he's one of the top players in the league this year. And in years past, he hasn't always been, like, he's always been good, but not one of the best. Like, he's up there with, like, he's up there, like, in Bergeron territory in his uh, heyday. And I was also going to make the point, like, is it because Bergeron's no longer there that people that haven't been, you know, focusing on Barkov as the center of the two-way center debate are now, like, clearly think, oh, right, he's always been this good, and now it's, you know, this is his award. I mean, he does have a Selkie, so. He does, but it was one of those courtesy Selkies, right? Like, he, he had to get one eventually. I mean, everybody knows how good he is because, like, he's like the him and Sebastian Ajo. I feel like are everybody's go-to underrated player pick. But I think everybody knows how good he is. But maybe they'll start talking. Well, he was a hard finalist not that long ago, too. So he was, he was. But for me, I think it's partly him trying to prove a point, which I think he's always been that kind of guy. But he wants to prove a point about you know I've always been this good as a two-way player. It's just that. Bergeron took up all the oxygen in the room and now that he's no longer there he can step up a little bit further and people will notice yeah I think I think he's got to be the favorite for the Selkie this year I mean the he's the favorite for the Selkie and second might be Sam Reinhardt at this point like there is no second to him other than maybe his line mate um I want to ask you this if we're making a case for Barkov to win the heart, and as we said last week, the only player to win the Selkie and the heart in the same year is Sergei Fedorov in 1994. And boy, I would love Barkov to do that. I know it's not going to happen, but if you were to use your stats to make a case for why Barkov should win the heart this year, even though he's on a team with Sam Reinhardt, who might have 50 goals by the time it's all said and done, what would you use to make that argument if you were creating that argument? Hmm. I mean, it's kind of tough because you're then you're comparing him to like the Kucherovs of the world and like that entire team. But I, I, I understand that. But for me, yeah. it's always about, you know, I, again, I don't think he's going to win it, but he should be in the conversation with what he's doing. What would you use if you were to if you were asked, you know, make the case for Barkov as a heart finalist or somebody who could win it with your numbers? What would you use as the telltale signs like, OK, this guy's a heart finalist? knowing that he's not the same level of offensive star as a McKinnon or Kucherov or whoever. Probably just the balance and kind of the level of efficiency that he's, that he's playing with right now. Like uh, there's the on ice stats where he's, he's just dominant in like the Panthers don't give up any goals and they score a ton when he's on the ice, but like you can make the case. Maybe Sam Reinhardt doesn't have the year he's having without, without Barkoff because like somebody, he's got to be on the receiving end of those passes that Sam's making. And he's got to be in the receiving end of those chances that Barkov is creating too. And Barkov is like, he doesn't create a lot of shots in volume, but most of the shots he does get are scoring chances. You also look at like the contributions he's making on the four check that goes a long way too. That creates easy goals for Sam, for Sam Reinhardt. And you look at what he does defensively. He's one of the best in the league at getting, he's, 
probably the best forward in the league at getting the puck out of the zone with possession and kind of creating offense that way. And that's with like the, and that's with the Panthers as a team playing more of like a chip and dump and chase type of system more this year too. So there's a lot of stuff he's doing. That's kind of, that could be a lot higher if he was in like a more high octane system that he was a few years ago, but he's still doing this while playing kind of a plotting type, a plotting style of hockey or while the rest of his team is at least. So, I mean, there's a decent case for him. Like, fortunately it's going to come down to scoring numbers and there's a lot of players kind of tearing up the league this year too. So, I mean, I think he, he's got a reasonable case. I just don't know if it'll, I just don't really know if he'll kind of work his way into the conversation, but you look at where Florida is in the standings right now, they're making a lot of, they're covering a lot of ground. And I don't know how far behind they are Boston. They just won two points. Se- They've won seven in a row now, is it? Eight. Eight in a row, yeah. They just beat the crap out of Colorado on the road. That was they one got- where I'm watching the game and the abs came back in it, but and some of it was the abs goaltending, but that was one of those where you realize just how the system makes sense for what they're trying to do. Because the abs are the, you know, obviously high octane offense go go all the time a version of what florida used to be and the panthers plotted them out of a game at home when While they had you know, yeah an eight and scoring eight like they they got two empty netters but they and some of it was abs goaltending but like that's the game if you were watching it like you would see that's the benefit of the playing the way they do and they're deeper than colorado and yeah that, they are now and that's the that's the other thing is the depth that they have and you know, it maybe takes away a little from Barkov as opposed to McKinnon, who's doing this at an ungodly level for a team that is very top heavy. But I mean, without Barkov, the Panthers are not the Panthers. And I think everybody knows that. Yeah. But the other reason why I'm bringing it up is because there's no way NHL award voters would give him both. They're going to give him one, but there's no way that the award voters would give him both. It's just not seems. Yeah. There seems to be a rule against that for some reason, but I, kind of forgot they're only two points behind Boston now and they got more they have four more regulation wins too so they've gone to overtime four times this year in a league where the Leafs are in overtime every night and the Bruins are seemingly in overtime every night and they just win games they win games in regulation better than almost anybody in the league so yeah I like they Florida was a team that kind of jumped off the page when I got my when I first got my 10 game update with my stats like uh, after I get 10 games tracked I always put in I always like do a bit of a vibe check to see where everybody's standing and florida was like jumping off the page at where they were like they weren't the best team in the league but they were among the best and like a few people were surprised like when i when i posted my charts and they were kind of sitting in the top right corner and i was like yeah they they're among the elites in the league when they play at their best and like uh i've seen it a bunch of times this year when they played carolina they dominated that game that's the other thing about the Panthers this year that I, that stands out to me. If they've had a big game, a game that really matters, like the Toronto games, the Boston game, they lost the Boston games, but the, the Carolina game, as you mentioned, the two against Vegas, you yeah, know. The Vegas like, one was, that They was, played really well. I mean, the first period against Vegas was hilarious. The first game, not the second one, but the first one was just, I mean, utterly hilarious. That was in the middle of the time when they weren't finishing any chances. But, like... That's the thing that really stood out to me. They they played their home opener against Toronto again with the injuries and all that. And they beat them the same way they beat them in the playoffs. And I'm like, all right, they're fine. I have no issues with this team right now. 
they're going to be much better when they're healthy because you got to get those players to buy into playing like that. And in the regular season, it's hard at times, but anytime they've played a big game this year against a team that really they need to step up against, they have. Yeah. Yeah. The only, yeah. The only game recently that I was like, Whoa, what happened there was the, was the Vancouver game on the road. So they, was that the last one they lost? No, they lost to St. Louis the first home game out, out of that road trip. There were that was in the the stretch where they were like they got shut out in two straight games. They lost four or five, and that was the point where we were going on our finishing debate. Like they're generating chances and not finishing. Oh and, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's when I posted. Uh, that's when I posted like my first round of charts, and Florida looked like one of the best teams in the league, and their fans were like, "Wait, what?" Like, well, it's it comes down to for, it came down to for us. It's like we know they're generating chances. Why aren't they putting them away? And that yeah. was the debate last year, and it's been the debate this year. And now the pucks are going in. You realize, okay, they are one of the best teams in the league, even with the finishing troubles. And it got to the point where Paul Maurice was starting to talk about it. And it's funny how it works with Y hockey. Normally, Tommy and I are the first on a subject, and we're getting to it a little earlier. And then people realize in the end, not that I'm gloating, but in the end that we turn out to be kind of prescient and then eventually the problem either corrects itself or it becomes something to the point where the coaches start talking about it and sure that's what happened and uh, um, as we have to unfortunately go to the second zoom recording Paul Maurice man he's not going to win the the Jack Adams but what an incredible job he's doing yeah this year for sure like I know he's kind of a punching bag like in hockey circles because he's been around forever but I don't know, like the the peak levels of his team are always really good. Like you look in Winnipeg, like the 2017 Jets, that was a really good team. I didn't think he would get it in Florida and obviously had the cup run, but he, he he's gotten it right now. Like they can continue this on. It's it's crazy what he's done. I've been so impressed. Yeah, I think you have to definitely have to hand it to him this year. He's done a great job. I I'm handing it to him. I've been proven wrong by him. I think a lot of people were wrong by him. One more Panthers question before we move on to other things. Sam Reinhart. I know we've hinted at it already that he's shooting like 25% and that's not going to continue. But uh, what do your stats say about this? The greatest of all contract year seasons. Yeah. The funny thing about contract years is like, usually the players kind of play in the same way as he always did, but more pucks are just going in now. And that's kind of the case with Sam Reinhardt. He's always been a jack of all trades type of player. Like just, he's good at, he's good at everything. He's, he can do, he can play anywhere in the lineup for you. He can play, he can do the four check game. He can play off the rush. And like where he's always been so like good at is like kind of threading the needle on those like, on the like high danger passing plays behind the goal line, going across the slot, going east west, that's always been like his wheelhouse, especially like with slowing the game down that way too. Like in Buffalo, he was kind of a power play merchant that way for a little bit. Then he he figured it out five on five as like he got older, and you're kind of Florida is getting like the peak form of him now, and they're getting him like. It's interesting. I don't remember if he played with Huberto in those insane seasons that he had there, but he's kind of proven just a lot of uh, a lot of people are saying like, oh, he's having like a, he's having a, like an unsustainable year. He's benefiting from playing with stars and he just kind of keeps producing like this. Regardless, 
this is uh this is something else though he's already got 51 points i think he has 30 goals already 29 yeah like yeah that's obviously a little that's obviously gonna come down a little bit but i don't know reinhardt's always been a great player like i thought he was probably the florida's best forward in the in the playoffs last year i would agree with that non-kachuk division what am i saying yeah okay non-kachuk division it's fine i'll give you that one you know considering how the considering how he ended the hurricane season if you wanted to forget about his existence totally fine i'll give it to you i just remember him looking like one of their best players like in almost every game Aside from Kachuk, like, yeah, Kachuk in the lead. I mean, I thought Barkov had a really ramped up postseason. Like, by the time he got to the th- the conference finals, he was elite. But, no, I that line was the most consistent line, Lundell, Osterena, and Reinhardt. And you forget that he was playing down the lineup. He wasn't playing with Barkov anywhere other than the power play. You know, it was Verhage, Barkov, and Duclair. And right. 2022, it would be Huberto... Barkoff and Giroux that but that was break glass in case of emergency you know and now this year they put him on the line and he did an interview with Frank Saravelli recently where he was talking about how playing with Barkoff is easy yet it's also kind of hard because you're playing with somebody who is the elite of the elite in ways that you have to get used to and he's figured it out like okay he leads the league in power play goals they left that bump play and nobody could stop it but he's also been this way the whole time He's had two 30-goal seasons in Florida, and last year he had the worst shooting luck of anybody I've ever seen to start the year and still had 30 goals. Yeah, that's the yeah, that's the thing. Reinhardt's always been a very high percentage shooter. He's never been like a volume shooter either. Like he can get he'll get two looks a game and finish both of them. He's not <laughs> like gonna he's... shoot 25% ever again, but you know, he's always been really good. I think the other part of his game is defensively. He's elite defensively too, which is why, you know, you point out the Selkie joke, like it's true. You know, he's on the ice taking face-offs if Barkov can't take them. And Paul Maurice is like, sure. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll put him out there. He's fine. And that's been the contract debate that because of William Nylander and how Reinhardt is a direct comparable, same draft, same contract year. And he I'm saying this with no intel. I'm saying this by just watching the way Florida operates and how they have structured their contracts. I could be wrong on this, obviously. The maximum I see him getting in Florida is the Kachuk deal. And I think he comes in under that. And people in Toronto, if that happens, are going to be so, so mad. And it's going to be entirely related to Florida reasons and nothing else. Yeah, I... Well, it's interesting with Reinhardt because I kind of just looked over his I looked over some of his stats from this year. He's kind of playing like his play style is kind of gone with the team because he's playing more of a simple game this year. It's a lot less rush offense. It's a lot less rush offense from him than there usually is. And it's mostly he's kind of just working off the court. But he's kind of gone with the team this year with how he's playing like outside of the offensive zone. He's getting the puck deep a lot more playing a lot more simple game off entry. He's not really looking to push the pace as much as he usually does. But once he's in the offensive zone, it's like just, it's basically just gold. Elite at creating chances, elite at studying up chances. Kind of a two-way street with Barkoff, but Reinhardt's always been that jack-of-all-trades type of forward. He can play any way you want him to. So, like, I, with him, like, you just pay him what he wants and swallow it, I guess. 
the difference for me though is nobody's getting more than Barkov in Florida. And I think everybody kind of understands that, which is why I said the Kachuk deals the ceiling. And not yeah. just the Florida tax situation and whatever. Like he will get more if he goes to the open market, but not just that. I mean, do you want to go get paid by somebody who has a bunch of cap space and isn't anywhere near as good as Florida? It's a decision that he has to make, but I do think it's probably going to get done at a number that is going to make Toronto fans very mad because of the number Nylander signed at. And well, I mean, they can't that that team can't sign anybody to a value contract, even if it was like given to them. So I don't know. It's it's interesting how it works in Florida. It's interesting how it works in other places. I'm pointing it out because it's going to be a discussion if Reinhardt resigns in Florida. It's going to be discussion whoever resigns in Florida, and it's not just the tax situation. These guys are willing to take a little less because they get everything they want, and I, I don't. They sell it pretty well, man. That's who they are. Well, the other thing is, it's like uh, there are other Canadian teams that aren't as bad as Toronto is at signing guys at like these contracts they're they pay sticker price for everybody in toronto they do they they and it's notoriously do. just toronto like it's notoriously toronto too it's i don't want to spend all this time on leafs contract discussions but i'm pointing it out because of reinhardt and i can see it in my mind's eye already and i don't like making fun of leafs fans all the time it's not fair to them they're very passionate they deserve something nice but yeah, the Reinhardt contract is not going to look good on the Nylander deal when it happens, if it happens in Florida. Um, we could spend all day talking about the Panthers, but I do want to get onto other topics. And I do want to talk about the Hurricanes because I know you tweet during games, it's all about the goaltending, and now they're getting saves, so they don't look as bad. What about the Hurricanes this year? They, in spite of the fact that they've had terrible goaltending, they're still second in the Metro and they're going to be more than fine. Uh, your thoughts on the team you so dearly love and hate some of the time? Well, up until about, I would say, the middle of December, they were kind of plodding along this year. They were not, they weren't great. They weren't, they weren't like, I don't know, they weren't like getting dominated or anything like that, but they didn't look like they were up to speed, like with, with the rest of the league for a good chunk of the season. They were, they had a really bad road trip at the start of December where I was like, I don't know if this team is going to be anything more than a bubble team this year. Cause like Aho was kind of slumping out of the gate. Sveshnikov was, didn't look like he was recovered from his knee injury. Their top goal scorer was Tavo Terabainen. And after that, like they were reliant on Stefan, Stefan Nason for offense and their second defense pair Pesci and Shea was just getting demolished every night. And I don't know. It didn't look like the, the rest of the league was getting better. It, the bad teams are kind of catching up to them. The non-playoff teams are were catching up to them. And it was like, I don't think this team's done enough to separate them from the rest of the pack. And then in the middle of December, Ajo's turned it on. He's been on fire lately. Sveshnikov's been just tremendous since then. Both of them cannot, both of them have just been unstoppable. And they're finally getting saves is probably the key thing. Kachekov has really stepped it up since, uh, since like really since Ronta got sent down the first time because uh, they were in a tandem for a little bit and Kachekov, both him and Ronta were both struggling. And then the net kind of became Kachekov's around that time, even though Ronta's back with the team now, but he's the guy now and he's been 
great since then. They're still kind of there's still some kind of buried us behind this run they're on now. They're only they've only lost one game in regulation since since the Vancouver game, which was like December 12th, I want to say, or December 11th. But it's a lot of it is buoyed by an insane power play, which was one of the sore spots early in the season, to be fair. Their power play was horrible. And since then, it's just been on fire. They, I think they've scored a goal in almost every game since, since that point. And they've, they've been just unstoppable with the man advantage. But I do think they might be a little over-reliant on it. As like last game, they played St. Louis. at, And uh, they end up losing that game in a shootout. But they only got one power play. And they scored one goal, which was on the power play. So... I am a little, I'm cautiously optimistic, skeptic, you know, but it looks like the star power on this team is finally starting to show itself, which I wasn't sure if they had early on. So where that's do you the think kick- they go from here? Because that, that, that was the kicker with the Hurricanes, though. Like, they don't have stars, but Aho and Sveshnikov are playing like stars now. So can they keep doing it when they're not getting three power plays a game? We'll see. So where do they go from here in terms of like, what would you want them to do to add to this? Because now there's no real danger of them missing the playoffs. They're, they're going to make it, but what do you want them to be in order to, to go on another run? Because you're going to be playing a good team in the Metro at some point, And they're not up to the level of some of the other teams. Although I think their peak is still pretty good right now. You could argue the Panthers are the best team in the East, but like where, where would you want them to go from here? Because you're not going to give up on a run like this, but they don't do big trades other than Trocheck pretty much at the trade deadline. Yeah. I mean, if they could swing some kind of like Rask for Niederreiter deal with Kokoniemi and somebody, I, that would be really nice. Not that Kokoniemi has been bad, but I don't know. That's a long contract for a guy that's not producing and doesn't seem to be moving the needle one way or another. So I, I want to see if they can move on from that, maybe in some kind of sneaky trade. Trade for Elias Lindholm again? <laughs> yeah, well, like that's an expiring contract, though. So I don't. That's the thing, though. I don't know if trading for an expiring contract is going to, like, you know, put this team over the edge. Like, what I thought they needed more than anything was for their star players to kind of start playing like star players again, and that's what happened right now. And right now, I don't know if that peak is kind of where they want it to be, and I don't know. I would, I mean, I would tempted, I'm like tempted to do a soft sell with this roster and try to be a better team in 2025, 2026. Like I was hoping they would kind of swing a Brett Pesci deal in the off season to get, to bring back a forward because his contract's up after this year. And like Brett Pesci's great, but that's your fourth best defenseman. You signed Dimitri Orloff in the off season. You got a replacement in waiting. So I would, I would have made the deal then. Right now, I don't know if you can do that because it's the middle of the season. He's an expiring contract, not putting up any points. Not that teams are going to look at that with Brett Pesci, but still. So I, I like I with goaltending, even then, like Vegas won the cup last year with Aiden Hill, and he was their second goalie heading into the postseason and their third goalie else for when everybody was healthy there. And so, I, I thought, you know, obviously if they get Anderson back, I thought he was really good last postseason. You know, well, yeah, the other problem, yeah, that was the other thing. Like, we don't know when Anderson is coming back. Like, he might be. I've heard he might be practicing soon, but I don't know. Like, you can't really put a timetable on. I mean, at this point, back. I if if it was me, and it's not me, like if you can get him a couple of courtesy regular season games at the end of the year to get sharp, but 
otherwise wait till the playoffs because i think i think you i mean i i think you ride kachetkov right now like that's gonna be your guy going forward ronta's on an expiring contract and by sending him down you pretty much indicate you don't have confidence in him and he's got the worst save percentage in the league so rightfully so yeah, you, you have to do that. It's it's fascinating that the Hurricanes are where they are because now they've, they've seemingly gotten the goaltending bounce. A lot of these bad teams got goaltending bounces. You know, it was so bad that it was almost unsustainable, and now we're seeing that. Um, yeah, well, like one of these guys had to play better, and Kachekov is the guy right now. Vranta had a really good game against the Blues, though, I will say that. But, I don't know, the team regressed defensively from last year, though, I will say. They also have a bunch of home games now, so that might help. Yeah, they had to go out west twice, and neither of those trips were good. They got they swig they got swept in one of them, and they won one game in regulation on the other, which was against the Sharks. And yeah, not great. I think they're like I like the other thing is I just don't know where like the ceiling is with this team right now. Like, I think are you, you say a- that with a bunch of teams in the East? Well, where are you ceiling? okay? Like, I I don't even know like if trading a first round pick for whoever is going to be on the market this year like let's just throw out a name let's just throw the name jake gensel out there just just in case like is a first going to be enough to get him i don't know who else you have to throw into that trade because that's why they didn't get timo meyer last year because like the devils had a lot like if they were going to trade for timo meyer they had to give up seth jarvis at minimum or the devils let's be honest like that's the same thing that happened there too yeah like with with the Devils, though, they can give up like a Fabian Zetterlin on their roster, who is like not a future star, but a prospect in the NHL. That's not nothing. They had top prospects on defense, too, they could give up. Whereas the Hurricanes, like they don't want to give up Seth Jarvis. So, like, the next player down is what? Jack Drury? Like, San Jose is going to laugh at that and say, see ya. He's not a bad player, but I could well totally understand what you mean. Well, yeah, last year, but. Well, I shouldn't say that about Drury. He's been great the past, like, three weeks. But I will say, like, the first two months of the season, I had no idea if this guy was ever going to score a goal. And he's got six now in his past uh, the past month. Of- that that seems like a very Hurricanes thing to happen. I don't know if this guy's going to score a goal. And then just when you give up, he scores six goals in a matter of weeks. Yeah, uh, but that's, that's guy, fascinating. But the guy I would really, really look to move right now is maybe Marty Natchez. And... Mm. Uh, that I like it pains me to say it just because I think the potential with him is something that they need to get over the hump, but it's like they need him to get over the hump while he's still on the roster too. If you know what I mean? Yes. It's like, we're still waiting for Marty Natchez to arrive while he's still on the team. And there was a couple games in the playoffs last year where I thought, okay, maybe he's turning the corner, like especially in that devil series and against Florida, he was a ghost. Like, he i don't know people say like he's not gonna fit in this system he's not gonna he doesn't play brindamore types type of hockey but i don't know it just looks like one of those players when the going gets tough he kind of just gets in his own head he takes very low percentage shots he plays very individualistic hockey he tries to do everything on his own and it's just i don't know you some guys just some guys just struggle and it takes them forever to get out of it. And I don't know if I don't know if Natchez will on the Hurricanes. It looked like he did last year, but during that Western road trip, I saw a lot of the Marty Natchez that's been here for the previous few years. But 
like i don't know like that's the guy i would look to trade to get something big in return so i don't know if you can at this point like rfa heading into this year he's going to be 25 soon and what is he like uh feels like an off-season move doesn't it yeah like that's what i say like i'm like this might be a boring answer but like i'm like content with the hurricanes to kind of ride this year out because it's a weird year for them anyway. They're going to have to reset. The team's going to be very different next year, one way or another, with all these expiring contracts. Yeah, like, that makes sense to if, me. I don't know if Shea's coming back. I don't know if Pesci's coming back. They were planning for it down the road in the offseason by trying to get Eric Carlson. So maybe they yeah. maybe they got lucky not doing that, though. <laughs> yeah, you never know, though. I mean, they already got Brent Burns on the team, and apparently they don't like each other. <laughs> This is true, and uh, Brent Burns apparently. Well, the Brent Burns story in Carolina—it's incredible how well that's worked. Uh, I have to—we we we will talk about Tommy and I at some point the dynamics off the ice with the Gautier Drysdale trade. But for the sake of the Flyers fans listening to this, because prospects are prospects, and who knows at this point, he already has a point, uh, and Flyers fans have already taken to him for reasons that will make total sense to everybody. But what are they going to get out of him? Because it's amazing that they've actually improved defensively. With Torts and Bradshaw, you know, Ristolainen's now suddenly not the worst defenseman in the league anymore or something close to it. So what are they going to get out of Jamie Drysdale for the Flyers fans who now have to look at him as a, you know, really important piece considering who they had to give up to get him? So, yeah, watching him in Anaheim, I, it's been two years, I think, since he played a full season, just to, I think he had a broken shoulder or like a separated shoulder or something last year. But when he was healthy in his first year, I was like, okay, this guy could be Morgan Riley or he could be Nick Letty because he skates like, like he skates so well, but every other part of his game, I'm not entirely sure of. He's got blinders on all the time, tries to do everything by himself. He really loves trying to make those fancy plays at the blue line to like walk around the forward, which he can do in the, in juniors, but in the NHL, it's tougher. But I think he's, uh, He's still kind of figuring his way out, but like at his peak, that's a, if he, if he's as good as like he looks sometimes that's like a top, that's a top four defenseman who adds like a ton of mobility to your lineup. So I mean, adding Morgan Riley, if you could reach that potential is not a bad thing to add. Oh yeah. Like, I oh yeah. Like, I don't think he's ever going to be like a Norris winner or anything like that, but he could be a guy that, he could be a guy that adds a lot of points to your lineup and is like a perfect type of complimentary defenseman to your forwards. And like Philly's got some young forwards coming up. So we'll see how he fits with that. What do you think of the flyers this year? Cause we've had this discussion about what torts is getting out of them and how they're a lot better than people thought. And I think the us against the world mentality has definitely helped, but is it all basically Couturier's back and he's still one of the best defensive forwards in the league or what else is, what else is going on there? Cause they are all, they're not amazing but they are a lot better than a lot everyone thought they'd be yeah Couturier's back for one that's pretty big I think some of these rookies are a little better than we expected to like Tyson Forster's had a nice start to his season he, Tommy's talking every, about Bobby Brink a lot too I I think everybody kind of forgot how good Travis Konechny is like that's one of the best wingers in the league in my opinion and uh the other thing is like you you take all that you also subtract basically one of the worst second pairings in the league forever off in D'Angelo where you replace them with, like, I don't know, Nick Steele and Sean Walker, like Nick's and you're better, like you're better defensively just by that. 
it's ironic because they also added Mark Stahl, who we talked about getting rid of last. Well, well, but I think because... about it like he was not a great player. last year, but he's not terrible if what you want out of Mark Stahl is to teach young players, you know, be a pro and to do things that will not cost your team games most of the time. Yeah, and he's kind of done that. He's also a part time player, like scratched regularly 16 games total so that's kind of where he needs to be right well, he's now he's been hurt he's been hurt too i mean but yeah. last year he played every game so you know crazy how that works but i mean just in general like it feels like there's something about the torts mentality that makes sense for the flyers right now like they're never going to bottom out when you have torts as your coach but also and i want to ask this general question like does it feel like we're starting to move away from the elite rush offense all the time kind of teams being the even dominant regular season teams. Cause your great regular season teams right now are Winnipeg, Florida, Boston, LA slumping, but they're still really good Vegas. Like these are not your elite rush teams. You know, when we've seen Buffalo struggle to take the next step, the devils have had a million injuries, but even Colorado's not exactly where you thought they'd be maybe that's a depth issue. Do, do you see a larger trend in how some of these teams are playing stylistically that we could extrapolate into something greater? Cause for a while it looked like the rush teams were going to dominate the regular season forever and ever. And now it's doesn't quite feel like that anymore, at least to a muted extent. Uh, I mean, kind of, sort of that component of your game kind of still needs to be there. And like you do, you do need to control the neutral zone, like in some type of, in some type of way like the old kings teams those teams like just shut down the neutral zone but they never carried the puck in but some of the, like the more extreme rush teams have had trouble sort of have, have had issues in the playoffs like i don't know if the devils did last year like they did get through the first round after all but that's a team that's had trouble carrying it over to next year which is kind of what i'm noticing like with buffalo in particular, Buffalo has really struggled at doing what they did last, carrying over what they did last season into this year. Because this year, they're not a good rush team. They're not a good rush team at all. They're very, they're good at carrying the puck in. They're not good at creating offense off the rush. So, like, there's also that, there's also that layer to it. And, like, I always thought balance is kind of key with this type of stuff because Colorado is an, Colorado was an elite elite rush team when they were coming up, but they also were good at getting the puck back and cycling. Like uh, the Rangers are like that this year too. The Kings are the Kings are more of a rush team now than they ever have been too. Which but, feels funny because they like have the best defensive stats in the league in some ways. Yeah, and also, like, I don't know, rush offense can kind of mean a lot of things, too, because sometimes it just means you're constantly going downhill and playing a possession game, not necessarily, like, creating chances left and right. Whereas, like, Florida more, whereas, like, Florida might be more of, like, a the Brunette Panthers. They were more of, like, the high wire act team, which is what the Devils are this year. So, I don't know. I feel like balance is always kind of in key with this. Like, with Vegas last year, Vegas, that's an elite transition team, an elite counterattacking team, but they don't always do it. Like if they have a lead, they're going to calm it down. They're they're going to reset. They're going to just chip pucks out. And if they have a lead, like in the third period, they're going to basically just they're they're basically just going to sit on the puck the entire game and like oh, run out I, the clock. From I, I remember what that was like. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what they did in the playoffs, especially. 
Like, I feel like it's easier to do that in the playoffs than it is in the regular season, though. Kind of just like melt the clock out like that. Like in the regular season, you got more blown leads. I feel like it's easier for teams to lose focus. I would say that, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I feel like balance is more key than ever now. Like I'm looking at, uh, like I'm looking at uh, rush offense for and against right now, and uh, there is a lot more. <clears throat> So, uh, some of the best teams in the league at like create some of the best teams in the league at like creating and defending rush offense are like near the top of the league too like LA LA Florida Winnipeg those are your top four teams or LA Florida Winnipeg New York like those are the top four teams like in terms of shot differential off the rush but you also have a team like Anaheim who is also up there in shot differential off the rush but they give up a ton off the four check and they create nothing off the four check so like they're like i said balance is all balance always needs to be there i really like the daryl belfry comment he made on one pdo cast with dimitri filipovich about the evolution of a team from a rush team to a cycle team to a you know re-entry team basically and i don't know i don't think i said it the way he said it and he'll say it better than me but that really clicked in my brain of you when you get good you start as a rush team and then you have to add the elements to your game and you kind of see that and i look at the lens of florida through everything and yeah that makes a lot of sense and i'm I'm starting to see that more with pretty much everyone non-colorado division but even they are not you know they even they have an element to their game that they added that is different to the team that won the cup or the teams that got good before they broke through kind of thing yeah, and there are teams that kind of get stuck as a rush team. Like Arizona's kind of stuck in that right now. So is Columbus. Ooh. Well, Arizona's like, not that bad, but that might be goaltending more than anything well, else. Yeah, that's also why that's why Arizona is kind of just well, I mean, they're they've had a nice season, but like in terms of making the they they got some real work to make the playoffs now. With like Seattle's coming up, Edmonton's coming up. So they're gonna have they got their work cut out for them before there. before we do the random grab bag of whatever i have to ask about nashville because what has how has andrew Burnett evolved as a head coach for going from you know maybe you know the elitist of elite rush teams to well now he's coaching tommy novak and all of these you know create a player kites they're not create a player you know what i mean what, what's that what's that gone because they're not been bad i think he's done a really nice job there honestly I think that with he what he's got. needed to have another go with a different kind of team. He wasn't the coach for Florida at its point in its evolution, but he makes perfect sense for a team like Nashville is what I've co- concluded. He's gotten the most out of that roster so far, I think. Like the season, Philip, Philip, he's gotten Philip Forsberg having like a marvelous season by kind of emphasizing, uh, emphasizing like more rush offense there. It's, it has been as easy as it was for him in New Jersey to implement this just because of like the forward court being what it is. And that defense corp is still, they've kind of gone backwards there. Like with the defense signing Lazan to like two years and giving him some big minutes. But what I've noticed with them in particular is that uh, Roman Yossi doesn't really lead the charge on offense as much as he used to which has kind of done a favor for some of the rest of the forwards, like the Philip Forsbergs, Ryan O'Reilly, Tommy Novak had a really good season there too. But 
like they like as great as Yossi is that you don't want him like you don't want him shooting you don't want him taking all of your shots basically especially if you're going to be playing a lot of cycle game in the offensive zone you only get so much like it's great that you have a defenseman who can like create from out there take those kinds of shots but like you don't want him you don't want a defenseman hogging all your offense like you want to spread that all around a little more and I think he's done a good job of kind of emphasizing that. Unfortunately for him, I think like that's they're really short on talent aside from that top line. I mean, he's gotten yeah. 12, he's gotten twelve goals out of Colton Sessions, so like God bless him for that. But still, like a lot of these guys, I was hoping would be a little better than they are. Like like Tomasino was a terrific player in juniors, and I thought he's going to be a better goal scorer than he is right now. Evangelista I had some high hopes for and Novak's obviously cooled off after that ridiculous start he had last year yeah I just want to see that the evolution of a coach because you know I did advocate to keep him but it turns out that everybody involved is in a better position now than they were at the time and that's what you want to say yeah we'll see what he does there I think as I think that roster looks prime for kind of a teardown rebuild in a, like a year or two. But I also, there I also is, he got Soros. <laughs> you can't really do that unless you trade them. So yeah, they're never going to be bad enough to do that. They just need to get some more talent there somehow. And they've done that. They've gotten O'Reilly and Nyquist. I think they can find something like that. It, they might not make the playoffs because Edmonton and Seattle are now on like ridiculous heaters. Uh, as we wrap this better. up, you, they, are, they are both better, yes. As we wrap this up, I'll ask you this one final question. Is there any player, any team, something that stands out in your data and your tracking that, I don't want to say keeps you up at night because that's your young daughter, but that has not at you, that you keep thinking about, good, bad, whatever, that stands out for this season as being exceptionally, huh, that's interesting. Probably the year Mitch Marner's having in Toronto. Like we're seeing debate about the drop off. Yes. Well, it's not even a drop off. He's just playing totally different than he usually than like he ever has before. Because like, uh, I mean, when I watch their games, I kind of see it sometimes because uh, he kind of takes a back seat in the neutral zone. Now he doesn't really handle the puck. And when he does, he's dumping the puck in a lot more, which is not like him at all. He likes to he likes to create at the blue line a lot, usually more usually one of the top players in the league with that. But he's been totally different this year, dumping the puck in a ton, a lot more forecheck offense, and just uh, less involved in general than he usually is. Like, he's usually, like, the guy that will cycle the puck forever for Toronto and kind of, like, lead, kind of quarterback their offense, almost like he's a defenseman on the power play, but at five on five. And the last few games, it's been coming back up, though. Like, against Anaheim, he was terrific that game. And he just had a 4-point night against the Sharks. So, clearly, like, something he's doing is working, but it's just a different style than what we're used to seeing from Mitch Marner. Maybe it's, like, a different type. Maybe it's, like, a different breed of hockey, too, because I was, uh, it's like, I paid attention to this when I worked my last Toronto game. And what I noticed in particular was that he's just kind of hanging back when, uh, He's uh, either so like, I don't know when Toronto, when Toronto's like going up the ice, it's either off a breakout or an exit. 
like an exit, he's going to be posted up in the neutral zone, tipping the puck in. But if they have like a control breakout, he's going to be following the play instead of leading it. And instead, it's a lot more of uh, Matthew Nyes, our defenseman, like carrying the puck in. Meanwhile, Marner's kind of hanging out in the back looking for an open place to jump in. So it's a different it's a different style than what I'm used to seeing from Mitch Marner. And I don't know. I can't really argue with the results as much as Toronto fans want to say he stinks, but he's got what 60 something points already. That's the uh, contract stuff. And the, maybe the leftover of the last contract negotiation. That is interesting. Um, I, I saw somebody post one of those charts. Might've been you, might've been Jack Frazier. I don't know, but the Marner numbers stood out in a way that was like, it's not worse, but it's different. And for a player like Mitch Marner, that definitely stands out. A team, as we wrap this up, any team keeps you up at night or keeps you thinking about them? Uh, Buffalo's fall from grace is really something to behold. Like, not that they were in a good, not that they were great last year or anything, but they were fun. And they're just, they are just miserable this year. It's like they had the life just totally sucked out of them. And Seattle was a team that kind of kept me up because I'm like, through like December, I was like, this team is going to break out and they're going to break out soon, but it's almost Christmas and they're still like almost in last place. And they've won eight in a row now. So thank the Florida like, Panthers for that, because that was the first of this run. There's they, some other I'm trying to Calgary is I don't understand what is going on in Calgary, because like they have some of the best stats in the league and they have some of the best stats in the league, like with rush offense and controlled exits but like as a whole they're just like the most they're the definition of mediocre and i feel like they could either that's a team i feel like could either go on like a 10 game run or lose 10 in a row with how they're playing so i don't know what they're doing i I don't know where they're gonna end up trading players away is probably it unfortunately Corey, the next zoom call is expiring because we've had to do two of them because of zoom's amazing technology but where can people find your work if they haven't found it already? Uh, you can find me at all3zones.com or at shutdownline on Twitter. I'm also at all3zones on Blue Sky if you're over there yet. And I am. Uh, I will have invite codes if you want them. Yep. So, yeah, follow me all those places. I don't know if we're still doing threads, but I think I'm there too at all3zones. If not, I guess I need to make a new account. Uh, maybe not with threads. I don't want to go into Threads discourse. It's not great. Uh, Corey, you are the best. Good luck with Allison. We wish you the best, you and Sarah. And uh, we will talk to you soon, perhaps sooner rather than later, if the Panthers and Hurricanes play in the playoffs again. Yeah, hopefully not, but we'll see. For, you, for your sake, hopefully not, yes. Yeah.